Hi everyone, hope you're doing well. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to the show on Amazon Music and that this podcast has recently been chosen to be featured podcast over on the educational page on Amazon Music. So please check it out, be well, and talk to you soon. Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello all. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls and Tethered. I hope you're having a good Christmas season right now. And I want to let you know about an item that you should still be able to possibly get before that ho- this holiday season is up. And especially if you want to give it as a Kwanzaa gift. Uh, with our author today. But before we get into that, as always, we want to start with a reminder that this does not constitute a, uh, inter- this podcast does not constitute uh, working with a mental health professional. It is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please seek out an, a, a mental health provider in your area. So uh, last year of this time, you probably, if you remember, uh, I did a interview with our author here, uh, as well as their publisher for Stack Desk, Stack Desk Press. And the author here, Awan Mance, uh, was helping us talk about the book 1001 Black Male Portraits. So we have them back today to talk about their new book. And to start off with, let's, let me remind you of Awan's uh, background and their bio, their information. So Juan Mance is a professor of English at Mills College and is instructor in illustration and comics program at California College of Arts. Their illustrations and comics have appeared in several collections, including We Are Here, winner of the 2019 Ignatz Award for Outstanding Anthology, Drawing Power, winner of the 2020 Eisner Award for Best Anthology, Manopause, a comic treatment winner of the 2021 Eisner Award for Best Anthology. She votes from Chronicle from Chronicle Books, COVID Chronicles, a comic anthology, and others. Awan is the author and illustrator of the already published While Living Black, while Living Black, Black uh, Portraits of Everyday Resistance, and also <laughs> the 1001 Black uh, Male Portraits of Masculinity at the Intersection from Stackdust Press. And today we're talking here to talk about their newest place called What Brothers Do All Day. So Juan, welcome back to Untying Knots. Thanks. Thanks. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh, when I when I saw you at the um, Afro uh, Comic Con and you were talking about this new book, it's like, oh, yep, that need to, need, we, we need to talk about that one. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm glad. It was great to run into you again. And um, yeah, the uh, yesterday was the... Uh, um, uh you know another day of um you know trying to get the word out and uh in this holiday season and so i'm mm-hmm. glad to be able to speak to you today because i'm i'm really trying to just let as many people know as possible that this book is in the world and that they they might want to have a copy exactly and even if you can't get it immediately for christmas there is kwanzaa for those of us that practice it so here's another gift uh, especially around the community aspects of Kwanzaa as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how did this book come into being? 
Um, you know, this book started in uh, um, 2013, I believe it was around 2013. Um, mm -hmm. I was working on my series of drawings, 1001 Black Men. Mm -hmm. And um, I decided to do a, probably about 10 drawings in the middle of the series. I think I was about on drawing 620. And mm. um, I thought, I want to make these into a book. And I want it to be in dialogue with Richard Scarry's classic children's book, What Do People Do All Day? And I loved mm -hmm. his books when I was a kid. Um, they were just so immersive. And What Do People Do All Day was a book that just kind of addressed that kids really wanted to know, you know, what do grownups do when they leave the house? What do they... You know what are their errands? What do they do? And I and I I thought, you know, people have the same questions about black people. There's a level mm -hmm. of, particularly I think for African American men, um, with whom society is really obsessed, um, this fascination with what black men do and you know what are they doing? What do they think about me? It's a really interesting kind of mm -hmm. weird objectification in some ways um, which is another big part of it that the zine does not address but i made my own little zine and i sold it at the san francisco zine fest mm -hmm. and um i was surprised when two children's librarians um approached me later um and these were people i knew through the zine world and said you know we want to have lunch with you and talk to you about why this needs to be a children's book um mm -hmm. And I talked to them and we had we had a great conversation. And after that, um, I thought about it, um, but I got caught up in the other aspects of mm -hmm. my life. And then when an opportunity came to do a presentation for Chronicle Books, um, they also said, you know, if you ever have a book idea, let us know. And I thought of those librarians and I said, I think mm -hmm. I do have a book idea. Um, mm -hmm. And I sent them the zine um, and they said, that sounds like, it could be a children's book. So that's how it was born. Definitely. And you also have some of the reviews of that book as well. So let me just bring that up here and we can talk a little about those. <clears throat> so let's see here. I've been fortunate to uh, be able to get the book reviewed um, and it was reviewed even prior to release. Those came out. So I was really pleased by that. Right. So this one is in the Kirkus Review, What Brothers Do All Day. So I'll just read an excerpt, an ap, uh, an excerpt from this. Uh, let's see here. Black men living their lives every day, drawing on language patterns and speech traditions commonly used within the African-American community. Mance refers to black men as brothers in this picture book that poses the question, what do brothers do all day? The question is fully answered in spreads of bold illustrations that feature black men of various sizes, shapes, and skin tones. Simple text lets readers know that brothers spend their days engaged in a variety of activities. Brothers drive, brothers ride, brothers wait for the bus, brothers cook and eat, brothers float and fly, brothers march, brothers listen, and of course, brothers love. Mance's distinctive art style will be familiar to readers of her 1001 Black Men sketchbook. The illustrations, which show a definite use of collage, drawing, and other elements, captures the, the character's positive energy and uh, can candency. The, no, sorry, camaraderie, that's what I'm looking at here. The use of specific cultural details, such as brothers preparing black IPs and visiting the barbershop, makes for a depiction that rings true. Mance's line work brilliantly conveys a dynamic physical movement as black men take part in everything from jumping rope and skateboarding to dancing and playing ba 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 
basketball. Readers, long, readers young and old will delight in exploring the ways that brothers live their wonderful lives. <laughs> I like them. I like that Kirkus reviews. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, a very delightful one and recognizes so much about it. And I, that gets so much into the work, what you did with the uh, 1001 is that aspect of being seen, which there's so much in our society that's about not being seen. Right. And, um, you know, as an artist, you know, seeing is, for me, seeing is the foundation of my work. Um, I've always um, ever, you know, I've been an artist, as I always say, longer than I've been anything except a Black person. <laughs> I've been mm-hmm. that for my whole life. I've been an artist probably since I was about five years old. It's when I won my first art contest. And um, and it's always been about um, reflecting on the things that I see mm-hmm. um, and portraying my world. And so it's really wonderful to have the chance to do that on a bigger platform. Um, but I really do think it's so important um, in the 21st century and frankly in the 20th century to just have a lot of people's and a lot of black people's perspectives on what we see when we look at when we look at our communities and we look at our people. When I see black men and boys, what do I see? Um, and this book is just 40 pages of some of what I see. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and, you know, what I wanted to do in creating the different activities was, um, that they didn't all align in a particular category. It wasn't all different Mm -hmm. kinds of work. Black men go to the office, black men fight fires, black, you know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. just all work and it wasn't all entertainment and it wasn't all playing. It was all of those things. Um, and then just the mundane, the everyday, one of my favorite drawings to do, was black men waiting in line at a grocery store. That mm-hmm. was really fun. <laughs> fun to draw. Um, okay, I got I guess I gotta ask, is there a question of showing black men in therapy? Oh, you know, the sequel. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to do it for the sequel. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, and now when I think about it, would there have been a way of showing um you know, for my, uh, I guess, the target audience, depending on who, mm-hmm. what the review is, um, they say it's either five to eight or three to eight, mm-hmm. um, or that that's the ideal audience for kids, um, you know, to show someone getting care of some, in some way, shape or form. That would be really interesting. I didn't even think about that, but that's... Or even the, yeah. Or even the aspect of talking about their feelings. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, that could be a book. Oh, I'm going to have to think about that. That's, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I'm happy I, to be a consultant for that, too. So, Well, I will keep that in mind. Don't be surprised if I, uh, <laughs> you know, that would be that would be kind of fun to create. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll continue normal, normalizing of us taking care of our mental health. As I said in the last couple, of, last couple of days, we have a history of saying don't air our dirty laundry. But uh, fundamentally, if you keep not airing the dirty laundry, eventually it becomes a biohazard, <laughs> which poisons the family and hello, generational trauma, as opposed to generational healing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. And, um, you know, in some ways, I don't know, I, I it, it's, it's in some ways you could say visibility is permission. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I think about the things that I saw as a kid, um, you know, some beautiful children's books like Nikki Giovanni's Spin Us Off Black Song, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Lucille Clifton wrote those wonderful children's books. I can't remember the illustrator. I should know the illustrator, but Everett Anderson um, mm-hmm. and his different. And then, um, of course, Ashanti to Zulu, these beautiful drawings, A to Z of African tribes. And even Ezra's Jack Keats, who is not black, but his um, snowy day. Every time mm-hmm. after I read that book as a kid um, growing up in the Northeast where it snowed, whenever mm-hmm. I put on my snowsuit and went outside, and made snow angels. Part of why I did that was because of a snowy day and seeing this little black kid making snow angels. And so mm-hmm. seeing things um, really does give kids a sense of possibility. Children don't have to, I mean, frankly, children of all ages, and even me, you know, at 57, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have to see a lot of something. We just have to see some of it. We just have to see that it's possible that we wouldn't be the only one. And that can be transformative. Um, You know, I think about a movie like, uh, I was just talking to someone about this the other day, um, and how when I saw the movie uh, Hidden Figures, um, Mm -hmm. and um, I hadn't read the book, um, which I am, as an English professor, I should not admit that, but I hadn't read the book. And I saw the movie, and... um, Afterwards, I was with two friends and and with my partner, and we just sat after the credits and just sat there for about five more minutes, just silently, um, Mm -hmm. just taking it all in. And and it's been really bittersweet to think about that. I remember talking to Mm -hmm. my students in Black Women's History and getting not super emotional, but more than usual and because as I was talking to them about why Black women's history is important, I realized that if I had known about those women, I would have felt more of a sense of ownership over my own training in the sciences mm-hmm. and mathematics. And I was I was pretty good in those things, but I would have owned it in a different way if mm-hmm. I had just known. Um, and so I I really hope that when I create books that it gives people a sense of of seeing is believing and knowing that these things are possible that there this is what it looks like when a black man is in outer space this is what it looks Mm. like when a black man is hanging out um playing video games with his friend this is what it looks like when he's making building buildings um yeah Mm -hmm. beautiful i and as you're saying that i also think about i just saw the marvels last night which i love the movie can't wait to and, see it. And there's so many other things we can talk about. I don't know what related to that, but I do say it's just very much seeing it, despite the what the reviews are saying. Because I know there's one scene in there, and not a given a spoiler. It's there's a point where you got to see the characters developing their teamwork and having fun developing the teamwork. I'm so there. <laughs> Which is again a very counter narrative to the idea of what it means to develop teamwork, how it's developed, and so forth. And it's just it's a beautiful piece, but that brings us equally back to the standpoint of what does it show for not just again brothers outliving, but being in connection with themselves, their community, their families. And um, you know, and I will pull out of my uh, um, African American literary historian hat. Um, you know, a crucial part of creating that. You know. There was, of course, you know, that concerted effort after slavery ended to demonize mm-hmm. Black people um, mm-hmm. and maintain segregation by telling people, 
black people and by black people, black men, no one was really talking about or interested in black women and children, um, but the black men are dangerous. And one of the key, I mean, the propaganda novels and other parts, pieces of literature that reinforce that always showed black men as somehow isolated from community. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, one of the things that's always important for me is to show, and particularly in this book, to show Black men in the context of community. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that, you know, there are, uh, every picture, there's a Black man in the kitchen cooking food, and he's alone. (laughs) Um, But then there are Black men together. Um, You know, one of my favorite drawings to make was of an African-American man jumping double Dutch. and surrounded in a circle by community members, um, and they're on a block in a in a mm-hmm. looks like a kind of a suburban neighborhood. Uh, kids of all ages, uh, old man, young women, um, teens, you know, all surrounding him as he's jumping double dutch. I mean, black men in community, um, and it's not a stretch for me. I don't think. Let's see, how can I depict a Black man in community? Because that's how I've always experienced Black men. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at my family reunion, hanging out with my friends in college, hanging out with my friends now, going to the art exhibit, our huge and really wonderful Black art community here in the Bay Area. Um, black men and Black manhood and masculinity to me is inextricably tied to community. Very true. And also in just the way you asked that question about how do I, can I depict it? It creates a certain idea of distance. It creates this sort of idea that, oh, I have to also define what community looks like to be able to answer this as opposed to like you just illustrated. Community is always there. It's always existing. It's like it has to be some sort of foreign concept that has to be put into a box. Right. Um, I mean, the community is there, but it's, I guess it's the thing that's not visible to people outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think about the historic, um, uh, dis, you know, the disposable nature of Black communities for municipalities. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people are talking more and more now about how New York's Central Park um, used to be a Black um, black people and also immigrants um, mm-hmm. neighborhood of Seneca Village and they decided that that was a great place for a park and no more Seneca Village um, you know um, someone's doing a lot of research now about um, black cemeteries in Florida that have been completely paved over um, and there mm-hmm. are archaeologists now kind of um, doing research on that and even you know something like Tulsa or uh, mm-hmm. even you know in a more even more devastating i mean tulsa was decimated rosewood was destroyed mm-hmm. um and so when we you know what the there's no guarantee even that the places black people experience as community are seen as such um mm-hmm. are seen as a as a community and yet um you know what i love about african americans is that they persist in in creating our communities and in loving ourselves in each other and the spaces we make um it's it's been the thing that sustained us over all this time and given us so much joy very true i know this summer has also led to some family archaeology and such and i'm looking at some some of the choices that uh, around some of our family members made and where they migrated from it's like okay how many of our family members probably were there in tulsa 
at that time. Wow. And it's again one of those store historical histories that is like no one's ever said anything about that or made admission of it. But just looking at these timelines where somebody chose to leave a place was within 20 years of that event. Wow. Wow. So it's like, man, knowing how just knowing the ability of movement and the needing to stay claims, like there's probably sections like again, my family that have were there in that event, but I would have never known. No one's ever said anything about it. And the way that sense of community was broken up there to what's showing up for me here and now. And I think ultimately and why I'm having us on this, having us have this chat. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, I mean, the stories. Um, but it's probably one of those things that happens and people don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have more uh, reason why we need a brothers in therapy. Right. Yeah, that's, I'd have to say that idea of, you know, um, sharing, talking about your feelings. I, I could see the illustrations for that. That's, you know, I just, it's so much fun to do uh, children's books. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's easy. Um, no. You know, I, of course, as a, as an academic, I've written books that are very long. Um, and this is a lot less long. Um, mm-hmm. I would even say my book living while black um, started as illustrations on Instagram and then became a book and, and it required actually a lot more writing than I thought than I expected mm. as an illustrated book. But as it evolved, I was working with my editors and, when I realized, oh, I want my captions to be definitions, but then if I have these definitions, I need evidence. And I ended up researching this detailed timeline of living while black incidents. Um, mm-hmm. It was a lot of art, but it was also a lot of research and writing and heart. Yeah, well, there's research. the academic and you talk, there's the academic and you talking versus just the <laughs> artist talking. Right. Um, I didn't have any of that for this book. This book actually has relatively few words. Um, but the drawings were much more complex, um, mm-hmm. you know, as even though they, they were for children, um, you know, one of the things I really hope that children get out of the experience, you know, talking about looking at black people in black community is that there is so much detail uh, that there's a lot to look at. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be 12 people in line or I don't remember how many people are in line in that picture, but, um, but a lot. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, or you know all of the faces surrounding the man jumping double dutch or you know these people marching in protest um mm-hmm. um or even you know something simple a drawing with just one guy in the kitchen but what all is in the kitchen and what is he doing and you know i want i you know one of the things i loved about books when i was a kid um and i have a lot of children's books in my house too um because i have nieces but also i love those books is when there's just so much in the drawing to linger over and to experience and enjoy and um and so i i hope to replicate that experience that you're kind of inhabiting black space and black community as you're paging through this book beautiful just utterly beautiful and i think that's a great place for us to take a break so i'm perry clark licensed marriage and family therapist here with a Juan mance author educator artist and we'll be back here to talk more about what brothers do all day so stay tuned in the second half and we'll see you soon
Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. It's Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with you with Juan Mance, author, educator, uh, illustrator, and talking about their book, What Do Brothers Do All Day? And we sort of drifted away from talking about the book, but there's a, we'll bring it back in this regards of one of the other areas that is of interest and that you've experienced is what does it mean around black children's media and literature and illustration? I mean, the aspect of we've got an umpteen number of illustrated books out there. How many have also been targeted specifically for people of color, especially black children? Um, yeah, I, I love that question um, because there's a part of me that's always the kid at the Freeport Memorial Library on Long Island with mm-hmm. librarian Arlene Goldstein, who knew that my mother wanted black books for her kids, <laughs> letting us know about the latest releases. And the 70s, there were black books. Um, there were books for children by black authors before the 1970s, but the 70s just sees this explosion mm-hmm. of books. Mm-hmm. Um and um you know those books are they're in my mind today you know 50 mm-hmm. years later i'm still thinking about you know um these uh children's writers who you know i still remember lines from nikki giovanni's spin us off black song i still remember um you know some of the jokes that uh everett anderson told in his christmas book and of course i remember the wonderful collage work in um uh whistle for willie you know by mm-hmm. ezra jack keats um this is a really amazing moment in some ways for black children's media um and i call it black children's media because it centers black children but what's great is that um children of all ethnicities are getting really into some of this media mm-hmm. um and part of it is the the you know um the the idea that you know people who've gone before and done great work and won mm-hmm. Caldecott medals and won Newberry medals for stories with black kids um, really kind of, I think, open publishers to greater interest in, you know, that they will in fact break even or better mm-hmm. if they put these stories out there. Um, and so, um, you know, bringing in someone like say, now, now it's probably 25, 30 years old, Faith Ringgold's Tar Beach. Um mm-hmm. 
But I think all of these things, you know, the rise of Black Panther, uh, Spider-Man into mm-hmm. the Spider-Verse, um, mm-hmm. and um, how successful those were, bringing in people like Nnedi Okorafor and Roxane mm-hmm. Gay um, and Ta-Nehisi Coates to write um, Marvel comics. All of these things are, um, in some ways, a response to the fact that audiences, Black audiences love this material, and audiences who are not Black also love this material. And so it's created a bigger space. And so the, you know, the proof, um, I guess it's the uh, um, proof of audience, proof of Mm -hmm. concept, proof of audience. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is putting the, um, um, you know, we all have the means of production in our own hands now. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when I started making zines, um, I thought it was so cool that I could, print in color and i could you know do layout on my own on my computer the tools have gotten only so much better in the in the 10 years 10 or 15 years since i first started making my own books and so people can produce their own really high quality books and put them out in the world i mean that's how what do brothers do all day became a book i created a zine um and people saw it and said this is I want to see this in a in a in a new form, um, mm. and so, you know, getting out there, and and it's I think it's so I've seen other people of color do this, friends of mine um, who are not black with all kinds of books. Um, they get out there, they create their own book, mm-hmm. they sell it, and they establish an audience, and then they are able to already make the case. I have an audience. This is. Mm-hmm. or yeah 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 because i mean i i said in other podcasts kickstarter and the crowdfunding places are a dangerous place for my wallet because anytime i and i've got the money for it i've got i've been making sure to crowdfund any of these projects that are uh black centered or at least multicultural centered whenever i can because i as i've often said when i grew up none of these things existed yeah and so using my funds to help see these things created is putting out in the world what I was missing when I was younger. Now, to that other end, though, I think that also leads leads to a question I know I've asked other creatives in the past is, what are your feelings about that idea of art as a career, as an expression of our community, of our beings? I love that question. You know, one of the things, you know, I, as I said, I'm a literary historian um, in terms of my training um, and my graduate work I did in African-American literature. Um, And so my thing is I love diving into the Black past Mm -hmm. and finding these art communities and writing communities that we don't know existed, but they were there in places where we gather. They were in New York. Mm -hmm. They were in Atlanta we you know we weren't the we're not the first generation to do this which is mm-hmm. amazing um and for me that um idea uh the kind of you know how do i know what these communities were like it's the writing that they mm-hmm. left and in some cases the art or um the music although if you're looking mm-hmm. at 100 years ago they or two 150 years ago they didn't have recordings right but so i think that as a mode of expression um black people's art is so important our drawings our writing our music um in now that we have recording our dance and theater 
um, that's how we um, that's how we reflect on our world. That's how we show people the, the world as we experience it. That's mm-hmm. how we express how we feel as Black people about being ourselves, being in our communities. It's so powerful. And it's also a gift that we give to per- to subsequent generations so that they don't feel alone and they don't feel like they're the only ones who've ever had this experience. Um, you know, but giving ourselves permission to, I mean, in some ways, you know, when I'm feeling really, when I'm in class and I'm pontificating to, particularly to art students, I say, you know, a thousand years from now, think of a thousand years back, what do we have? We have the art. That's mm-hmm. mostly how we know what people lived like, maybe what they looked like. Um, but I also think that it's such, you can't create art about something without understanding some aspect of how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think for Black people to be able to tap into that, um, sometimes your art can be more articulate than you can and can Mm -hmm. express things that for which there are no words um but your art um can fill in where the words um where words might fail you Mm -hmm. Mm. this is where we also come into things like using art and expressive therapy as well for the things that aren't being expressed that may not even be realized there and we see that in the line choices and the uh color choices and the expression even some of the sizing that shows up when we're working in therapy from that Mm. and i think and just that expression in in general but then also i think there's again that sense of what is it in our communities because we know art is going to thrive we know that there are people who are part of our communities that art is their breath and yet we struggle with this aspect of having it being as acceptable as being something that is normalized even if they're not going to make that their full career but that the art is accepted is that recognition of their breathing right yeah i think you know i think that a lot um you know i uh when i was in college um i was an english major um and um and and I did a program, an honors program in creative writing. You had to do an English major. And if you did that, then you could apply to take four courses and do a thesis and be in the creative writing honors program. So I, for some reason, that felt okay to me. But mm-hmm. I never took a single art course when I was in college. And I and and I, I ha- there's not a week that goes by that I think, now, why was that? Why didn't I? Fe-? And it wasn't just that... Um, I didn't want to walk over to that building or something. Mm. Um, I didn't feel like, um, given who I was, that I could that it would make sense for me to do that. Even mm. though I was deeply, I did I did a little bit of freelance work as an undergraduate and as a grad student. Um, but what was it that kept me from thinking that that was? And I hate to say it, but practical. Mm-hmm. Um, that it made sense for me to do that. I, I and I think part of it was the people who I saw doing the art major. A lot of them uh, read to me as very wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of people of color, but I um, thought, well, they are they're risk takers. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they were they were they were different than me. Um, and I 
what I think now, I know so much more about art that it's not just gallery work um, and uh, making those connections and being able to get your work up on the walls and, you know, Leo Castelli or what have you in Soho or something in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, there's art everywhere. Um, you know, an army of artists works at Pixar Animation Studios. Um, you know, every logo had to be designed by somebody. Um, mm-hmm. You know, furniture is designed by artists. Um, you know, now that I have an understanding of that, I encourage all of my, and, and a lot of those people have a, an individual art practice as well. They design furniture and they paint. They design furniture, they make sculpture. So I tell my students, I say, you know, art is everywhere. Art can be a career. I said, and I tell them, I say, don't be like me. Um, if you, if it has to be practical, you know, tell your family what I'm telling you, um, and 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 do this thing. It's it's a you know you if you ex, if you love doing it, you will excel. Um, mm. And um, you know we have I think trouble giving ourselves permission to do something that seems indulgent, um, or you know if we're living in the United States or Europe. Most people who are going to art shows, going to openings, um, they're not Black people. And I think it's really hard for us to see ourselves in that space. Um, so you've hit on a number of things, which obviously, we know, sits in the categories of racism and so forth. But it suddenly strikes me as that these some of these other fears also smack dab to what I was saying earlier about the dirty laundry has become poisonous. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, constraining ourselves and not allowing ourselves to fully inhabit, you know, what our minds and bodies are telling us we should be doing mm-hmm. um, is is not good. Um, you know, when I see someone in crisis um, or when I, you know, I spent a semester as an artist in the schools in um San Francisco, working with middle school students, which was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Eighth grade, um, and it was it was it was uh it was intense. I took a nap every day after I was done. Um, but um, you know, I saw some of the kids who really loved what they did. They really lit up, but also for some, there was also this simultaneous constraint. I like doing this, but I can't do this outside of this class. Mm-hmm. Um. And, uh, you know, I wonder the degree to which, you know, some of the kids I see who are making interesting or problematic choices, are they also shutting something down in themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, you know, if I know for me, when I started developing an actual art practice towards becoming professional, um, it was a visceral experience, like nothing I've ever had before you know, my mind and my body telling me, you've got to do this. You've, you've got to get back into, into a drawing. You've got to, you've, you've done everything right. You've done your whole career. Look at you. You're in a tenure track job. Um, This is when I was a professor at the university of Oregon. Mm -hmm. You finished your first year. You have got to go and get those art supplies and remember who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I had a lot of tools to be able to suppress that and still have other alternatives. I wonder the damage to our community um, that's enacted when the musicians 
the visual artists, the poets, the dancers feel like they can't really pursue that. They have to somehow mm-hmm. become something else. And sometimes that's what we find ourselves sitting in therapy trying to reconnect with and feel with because that value judgment about those things <laughs> is part of is part of that dirty laundry. I know I've more than enough occasion, and this isn't just for black people, this is for a number of clients who have said to me, my parents never taught me this. Usually it's been about money mm. that we, we've had this conversation about the or the concept of working and that standpoint of, yeah, your parents never were going to teach you about this because it was never part of their world or it was the thing in their world that got suppressed. Right, right. In oh. the And devalued against the idea that they have to survive. Right, right. Um, and survival meaning something really specific. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, also, you know, giving ourselves, you know, survival is is critical. Um, I mean, I often think of the some named and some unnamed ancestors of mine who were mm-hmm. enslaved people um, and somehow transmitted enough care and love and a sense of valuing how to value yourself such that as soon as my ancestors were free, they became upwardly mobile and created a world in which, you know, in the 21st century on both sides of my family, we have a fair amount of, um, we, you know, have healthy families, healthy community uh, members. Mm-hmm. Um, and so survival, I don't want to knock survival. That mm-hmm. has been, that is why any of us who are sitting here are sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that, um, you know, at a at a certain point, you know, survival, we also have to complicate what that means. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just being alive um, and having a place to live and food is important. But how does it, what do we need so that we can be fully engaged with the community around us? Mm-hmm. Fully engaged, fully participating in a productive, healthful way. Um, you know, I think I'm a a better person in the world um, as a as an English professor who is also an artist than when I was, um, you know, just kind of focused on doing this thing that mm-hmm. um, that I, I I grew to love. But I became an English professor because my I had an advisor who told me that she thought that was what I I should be doing with my life. And therein becomes so much of the balancing point of that. Who are the ones who are instilling and inspiring us right. and who are the ones telling us just to minimize devalue fit in to survive mm-hmm. which is i think where your book is a brilliant piece of how are these men these brothers going about the world not just surviving but living breathing helping community be well, I'm glad you see that. I, I I think that um, you know, and just uh, you know, seeing and showing um, mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, it was so much fun for me to see through the drawing process, um, you know, and just kind of build up every character in the book, um, you know, is he going to be smiling, uh, big afro, small afro, mm-hmm. shaved head, um, you know, it was so much fun to imagine all of the possibilities, all the different ways 
of being um, Black in the world. And then to also, you know, part of me, you know, I'm trying to imagine myself as a kid looking at these drawings and what I would love to see, what would be interesting to me. Um, you know, one of the things I love about reading books with kids, um, you know, I've enjoyed reading books with my nieces uh, when they were smaller, um, was the questions um, mm-hmm. they would ask and the things they would notice. And so I wanted them to notice. Um, I, I wanted to create books in which there would be a lot to notice so that uh, parents or caregivers or teachers who are reading with their with, with younger people could um, ask questions and give them lots to think about and point at and um, and just experience. You know, the hopefully every page would convey some level of richness. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's in all of your work. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Glad to say it. Because again, there's that aspect of what are we seeing? What what have we not been able to see in our community that art does allow us to see? And when we're so many are caught up with the idea that they have to survive, because guess what? They haven't dealt with the bio biohazard in the closet. It's such an interesting thing. Um, you know, I just um recently in one of my classes was teaching about the graffiti inspired artist keith herring white man Mm -hmm. um incredibly successful incredibly prolific in the roughly 10 years of his career because he died very young um Mm -hmm. um, but we ended up talking a lot about a lot about graffiti and its role and the idea of those kind of rolling um galleries that subways Mm -hmm. were in the 1970s and 80s um and so i do when i talk about black people and i talk about art and giving yourself permission i also want to be really um careful to note or i want to be also very mindful of the ways in which we've always even without formal training or feeling like we don't have access to that art school or boy, those supplies are really expensive, have always made space to make art in some shape, way, shape or form. You know, the beautiful murals that show up um, in honor of someone who has passed away. Um, The subway trains uh, Mm -hmm. that, you know, have the names of a black person or an Afro-Latino person or a Latino person who doesn't identify as black, um, you know, those were the kind of three groups that were really creating that 70s and 80s graffiti. I mean, those were folks who in some way who were willing to risk their lives to make art. And so there is a level on which there has been that imperative, um, you know, the creativity and how Black people put on, you know, create new looks um, mm. with, uh, you know, create uh, new sounds. I mean, um, mm-hmm. that is art and that is creativity um and that's with very few resources um but there are so many other spaces in which our vision and our voices are needed and are starting to to come in um you know mm-hmm. the videos that people are, are making you know i think about gracie's is it um you know, there's this little black girl named gracie and her she was created by these african-american people a couple um mm-hmm. with these educational videos it's gracie's corner and she has these kind of hip-hoppy kind of funky sees and to teach us um how to count and uh and it's amazing and you know these people were able to make it because 
once again, the means of production in our, are in our hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just the tip of the iceberg, what, what can be done. We've always, in some ways, been able to find ways to sneak creativity in um, when there's not a lot of space available. Um, often that's been in the form of music, dance, and mm-hmm. and fashion. But I want to see more um, in uh, in the children's media realm, for sure. Well, something, um, oh, uh, one of my chat groups I'm in, someone quoted, uh, this was a game designer that he said, or I think, it, and I'm going to paraphrase, is that we write these games because we still want to capture that feeling of pretend we had when we were kids. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, if you can tap into that, it's it's magical. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, when I think of how much play is involved in creating art, um, you know, one mm-hmm. of the things I it's one of the biggest. Well, I, I let me not tell a lie. Um, you know, I, you know, being more conscious about creating work for children it has been really interesting. Um, and then reading books, children's books, not just, I'm really enjoying this book, but think, reading it and thinking, okay, how is this tapping into this particular age group? But I will say one of the things that's been really fun for me is to create zines and comics. And, um, you know, I'm just creating work mm-hmm. that I think is for people like me, people my mm-hmm. age, people with my interests. And then to realize what started happening over the years is I realized that a lot of what I was making, who people were using it in with children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so it's it's funny, my, my sensibility apparently is one of um, probably elementary through middle school, you know, the art that I'm creating for myself really seems to hit a particular a particularly young age group so uh i don't know if that means i have arrested development or <laughs> so and so as a therapist i'm going to point out that standpoint that we've really got a misuse of that idea oh. and the most fundamental thing i would say is that everybody on this freaking planet has an inner child That's it doesn't true. go away hmm. it's part of the foundation we're all built off of uh-huh. Uh, yeah, some people don't immediately remember their childhood, but it's in there. And it might show up in that aspect of you pick that very loud colored scarf or those dangly earrings or that playful doodle you're making while you're sitting in that really boring meeting. That inner child is always there. Uh-huh. And we don't have to devalue the idea that inner child's there. It doesn't mean we also need to let it always be in control. (laughs) There's the biggest difference. Because again, the child may not always understand nuance. And the child (laughs) may always uh, respond much more from a place of emotion than from logic. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Well, I will say it's it's just uh, over the course of, you know, I started making uh, comics. I started making zines around 2010. I started making comics around 2014. And, Mm -hmm. you know, over the course of participating in Bay Area zine culture and some other places too, Brooklyn and L.A., um, and just getting a sense of how 
once you know you create a piece of work and put it in the world takes on a life of its own and Mm -hmm. i kind of love that some of the comics uh, particularly the autobiographical comics i created and some of the thousand and blonde black men collections i made before the actual book um ended up in in classrooms um for you know eighth graders fifth graders um high schools um Mm -hmm. i just thought um the work found its audience um without me really having to push it in a particular direction. Mm-hmm. So there's trust in that little artist within them. That's <laughs> my, my, I guess my inner artist is about, I don't know, 14. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and I very much encourage you to go and play with that 14 year old artist <laughs> because you know, that's something that's good mental health. Oh. Well. You don't have to tell me twice. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So we should be wrapping up. So where can folks find more about the book and more of your work if they would like to? Awanmance.com. My first name, last name.com. And there are links to uh, my books and, um, and some samples of my other art. All righty. I'll try to have as much of it in the show notes as well, as well as, uh, as well. Uh, And I want to thank you again for coming back and, uh, having this chat with me yeah thank you for inviting me not a problem so again check uh check out the the book and where is it also being published from again um the book it's coming it's out from chronicle books um what do brothers do all day all right so again for those kids in your life kwanzaa gifts for black history month which we know is coming up this isn't something that you can get your kids and feel good about it so be well and hope you all have a good holiday and uh, we'll see you in the new year because we got more coming then. So I'm Perry Clark and this is Juan Manson. Vance? Jesus, I said it would slip in there somewhere. <laughs> um, Juan Mance, and we'll talk to you later. Be well. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.